It's Crossing Broadcast here on 610 ESPN Philadelphia. And I thought we were going to get like another 30 seconds before we went live. Ryan right. Lennox on the other side of the glass is so upset that I didn't thank him at the end of Snow the Goalie. We're sitting in here, Bob, Bob and I, and NBC Sports Philadelphia's Colby Cohen, who, who, uh, Filled in admirably. He was great. For, uh, I, I told him Sampolipo. on the way out the door that he was better than Anthony. Oh, don't so. don't crap on poor Anthony. He got so <laughs> upset. Look, I I just looked on Twitter, and uh, Anthony was so upset that I didn't mention in my tweet that I have what 280 characters for that I didn't mention that he was sick. Uh, what did he say? Wow, didn't even tag me in this. Don't mention I'm sick or anything. Just take all the credit. I don't matter. Sad. And here I thought we were good partners. Sigh. Oh, I'd be remiss if I didn't offer a hearty thanks to Colby for filling in for me. I owe you, bud. That sounds about right. What do you think, Lennox? I think there's going to be someone waiting for you in the parking lot after the show. Well, it ain't going to be Anthony. Well, oh, it's going to be we- you. If I wheel him in, it might be. Yeah. Gonna. <sighs> So you know what this means? Kevin's not here. He's Kevin's in not Florida. Here. Anthony's, Anthony's not here. Sick. It's me and you, pal. <laughs> it's just you and me, and we're not talking hockey. Eh, we can talk a little basketball. We can talk a little basketball. We can talk a little basketball. Like a little, little, uh, little baseball. Little baseball. Little baseball. First day of full team workouts for the Fighting Phils down Clearwater. Listen, we might have needed a lot of security, and uh, oddly enough, you know, Colby came in here, didn't make a big stink of it. No real security detail. Oddly enough, I think I saw on uh, the Twitter that Adubal Herrera has his own personal security guard assigned to him as he reported to Clearwater. Interesting. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I did all this prep work today to talk about meaningful baseball, talk about the Phillies, and you yeah. lead off with Adubal Herrera, a guy that probably won't play for them in 2020. A guy who's not technically on the 40-man roster, correct? He's not. Um, it's going to be, and like, we could address this. Adubal Herrera, you know, was a guy that I, I really liked uh, for a couple years, and uh, I just don't see it. I, I don't think that, I think the Phillies kind of protected themselves by doing it the way that they did it with Odubel. Um you know, you can't you can't cut a guy, you can't punish him beyond what the, the union and the owners negotiate. So here we are, and I think the Phillies kind of did what they had to do. And, you know, Matt Clentak last week said that if everything goes right both on and off the field, there's a path possibly uh, back to Philadelphia for Adubel Herrera. But I really, truly, I would be shocked. If I were a betting man, and I know that we'll talk a little bit about DraftKings Sportsbook later, uh, I would say... is. Will Odubel Herrera return to the Phillies in 2020? <laughs> if that was a prop, I think no would be minus 500. Wow. Yeah. That big, huh? Yeah, I just don't see Do you think it. he plays anywhere this year? Possibly. Like, I could see if he has a decent year and the Phillies just kind of internally decide, hey, you know, there's some value to this guy. It's not going to be here. You know, whether it's be because, it, whether it's because they, they feel comfortable with what they have or they just think, you know, from a PR standpoint, it's really not worth whatever he's going to bring to the table. Maybe they they move on from him and he ends up somewhere else. I could see that. He's not so far removed from being in uh, really, uh, you know, in terms of overall value, one of the better players in baseball when you relate the contract to what his production was. But we're far, you know, though we're not far removed from that type of production in terms of time. I mean, he was so bad last year before everything happened, and he was not very good the, the second half of 2018 either. So, All right, let's get into... I, it's hard, because the there's that part of me that passionately... like I, I just had an hour of hockey talk, so I, I'm, I'm not hockeyed out, but I, I, I look at a team in town that I'm really excited about once again, and that's the Sixers, 
Our Sixers guy's not here. You like to talk about baseball. Your other baseball guy's not here. So I feel like you and I, maybe it's a a, a reacquainting of sorts that that fans have to do. You know, the good old four for four, the five for five, yeah. the six for six and seven for seven fan. I think tonight's going to be an, an interesting show. And if anybody wants to hop in on the phones, 888-728-9941. Again, that's 888-728-9941. I don't even think I led this. Bob, you can find him on Twitter at Bob Wankel CB. You know, give, give the man a follow. Uh, Gene Segura shows up at uh, at camp down 14 pounds. What did you call it? A svelte? A svelte? svelte? Yes. Look at you. Svelte. This is good. So I look at Gene Segura coming in 14 pounds lighter, saying that he's off the whiskey, and, <laughs> and I'm supposed whiskey? to believe that that's going to be a a fundamental change in, in the way that Gene Segura approaches the game. To me, when I see a guy saying that they showed up to camp looking great, all I think about is Joel Embiid all offseason sh- walking shirtless through Philly, and I think about the Ben Simmons jump shot videos and how that hasn't done Jack Diddley's squat. I so, go back because, you, you know, you I'm an old man. I'm a little bit older than you. And so I go back to the the Eagles and T.O. doing the, I go the back to like, Sean Considine played uh, safety for the Eagles. He was a guy that just he had no strength yeah, whatsoever. Yeah. And it was, you know, he could cover a little bit. He could do some things. Cerebral player, but he needs to add muscle. So that was the offseason narrative the one year with Sean Considine. Ten pounds of muscle. Not a Kiko Alonso. Yeah, Mark Simino, yep. same thing. Oh, little love, guy, yo, undersized. Mark Simino was a low-key, really solid linebacker in NFL 2K5. Yeah. I know there are people Great out game. there who the best game yeah, was, was far superior to Madden 05 that year. I hope I just that, upset somebody. Was that Dreamcast? No, that oh, was, was that, uh, no, that was original Xbox. Original Remember, that was Xbox, original yeah. Xbox. That was the year yeah, that right, they undercut right. the market. They they put the game out for twenty dollars. To was on the cover. To was that, on the right? cover. Yeah. That was before Donovan McNabb's ego got in the way. But uh, okay, so Gene Segura, Segura shows up and he looks he looks better. Now you mentioned in a post, oddly enough, very strange, yeah. over on CrossingBroad.com, the only outlet to go came check out, out Philadelphia today. Sports. I emerged you from came my out of, cave out of ATS the, the sports, gambling trends, the, the gambling hole. Um, have you come up for air much? I don't think so. I think no. this is the first one in no. quite some time. I can go pull the the stats on the site. But so you you came out and had this this moment where you got to write about Gene Segura. Uh, how, how do you feel about this guy and his prospect to play with Didi Gregorius here? Where do you think he fits in better? Like second base would seem to be a better fit. Do you, it, is there any chance they play him at third? Well, let's first talk about whether or not Gene Segura losing 14 pounds matters. Like, we've all been fooled by this. You talked about it. There's plenty of examples of guys that come to camp and they say that they're in great shape or they've lost weight, gained muscle mass, whatever. But it doesn't really lead to results. But Gene Segura, there were times last year where he looked sluggish to me. And throughout the course of the season, he visibly put on weight. And I just looked at his play, and I felt that he started to kind of wear down a little bit. Now, if he's really made a wholesale changes to his diet, and he's more dedicated to taking care of himself at age 29, could there be an uptick in his production? Yeah, you're talking about a guy that hit 294 since the start of the 2017 season. And it's not like the guy was an absolute train wreck last year. He did hit 280, but he was so good in the month of March and the month of April. You talk about this guy that had professional at-bats. He was a contact hitter. He could move the baseball around the field. And he was an important cog in that lineup when it was having success in the early going. 
And then you had the hustle incident, and Andrew McCutcheon gets hurt. And he talked today about how that had a negative impact on his psyche last year and how that may have trickled into his actual production. And he was so bad in the month of, the, uh, in the month of September when the, the Phillies kind of crashed and went 12-16 and 16 as they finished 500. All these things considered, like, yeah, could it possibly be meaningful that this guy loses 14 pounds and has made some changes to his program? Sure, it could. In terms of where he's going to play, I think that the Phillies, and I, it was Scott Lauber, I believe, today had said he gets the sense, and, and I agree with this, he gets the sense that the Phillies want to play Scott Kingery at second base, and they want to play Gene Segura at third until Alec Bohm, you know, makes his way up here. And then, you know, if you have that surplus of infielders, you kind of deal with that when you get there. There's also a possibility, and I know the Phillies don't want to do this. It would be great to drop Scott Kingery at second base. That was let him thought. do his yeah. thing. Kind of let him really fully get comfortable after two seasons of bouncing around everywhere. But there is a potential hole out there in center field. Yeah, you have, we talked about Odubel Herrera. I don't foresee him coming up. But you have Roman Quinn, who uh, got hot last I, year, got I love, hurt. I conceptually love Roman Quinn. It's, it but would the, be what's perfect. His, what's his issue? Right. As soon as you try to rely on him, he blows out a muscle in his leg. Yeah, and, and, and then you have Adam Hazley, who the Phillies seem to kind of be committed to right now as their everyday center fielder. I, I, I'm skeptical of that. I like Adam Hazley. I think he's a Major League Baseball player. I don't know if he's an everyday starter on a potential playoff team. So... There is a lot of uncertainty, but if the Phillies get a good season out of Segura, they get the ba- uh, bounce back season. Kingery's playing well, you know, and then Alec Bohm's ripping up the minor leagues, and they finally decide to bring him up at some point. I think that that's a problem that they'd like to have, and and obviously that would probably make Gene Segura a trade candidate too, if if all of those things were to come together. I have an issue because you you mentioned that. You think the Phillies could theoretically be a playoff contender? Yeah, I, and I'm glad, and I, I'm because I know where you're at on them, and I think that this is a good it's, overarching conversation to have right this now. This is like the problem I guess I run into is I don't want to crap on the Phillies. I really don't. I genuinely want the Phillies to be good, right? Because as I've said before, having baseball as the soundtrack of summer is great. Days where the Phillies don't play, I feel lost, right? Now, admittedly, the last few years, I haven't taken the time to sit down and watch. 140 odd games the entirety like I used to or like I did before kids it's been an arduous task but when I when I look at this team even from a distance and I I think about some of the upgrades I made and I I think about the what-ifs you know what if Zach Wheeler ends up being more of a number two that you can rely on to be a legit two instead of the three that he really might be what if you get a guy uh like Andrew McCutcheon bouncing back to form that that incredible form he had to start the year, um, you know, even up until he blew out his knee. And if you missed that, he came out today and said he expects to, to be make, ready opening day. I don't know if like, that's realistic. That's or not. another big what if. What if Bryce Harper is able to get that average up over 260, like he apparently said is is a goal for him, and to get o- o- you know over the 100 walk threshold this year? What if Reese Hoskins has a massive bounce back year, which I think is critical to their success this year? There's sure. no there's no way about it. What if JT Realmuto continues to play at the pace of being arguably the best catcher in baseball? What if? All of these bullpen pieces, or at least a few of them, prove to be a somewhat reliable option. Sure, this what is... if Zach Eflin or Vince Velasquez 
take that next step and, and are a solid number five in this. What if $25 million man Jake Arietta isn't straight garbage? Like to me, these are so many what ifs that I want to believe that at least a few of them are going to play out. But like sell sell the casual fan or sell somebody who's fallen away from caring about this team that, that this isn't just wishful thinking, that there is a reason to believe this team can get back into playoff form. You want me to sell you on the 2020 Phillies as a, a yeah. possible playoff team yeah, that's because playing when, meaningful, and not just meaningful baseball because the the division or the National League won't let them fall out of the race. Yeah, yeah and I mean, I think a lot of the questions that you just asked are the, the, the key questions. I mean, these are the things that are going to have to go right for this team. You know, there are a number of projections that don't like them. There's a, a popular baseball system called Pakoda that thinks they're a 77-win team. Pakoda? Yeah. What is Pakoda? Yeah, it's like I've, stands for something. I've you never know. heard of it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, you know, 77 wins, that's that's four games worse than a year ago in which they had all of these bullpen injuries and you were starting Drew Smiley and just... Drew Smiley who looks. Uh, yeah, God, looks he, like Cliff Lee. I mean, Cliff Lee, <laughs> yeah. practically a Cliff yeah. Lee clone. So I, my question, and, and I'll answer yours first, but I'll give you're you some time answer, to think gonna, about... You're going to answer I'm a question I'm going to give you some question. time to think about this. I think you can look at it this way. What specifically is it that makes people not excited about the Phillies, right? Because, like, a year ago, there was such optimism. It was baseball's finally back. For the first time since 2011, you could go into a season, well, really, 2012, I think there were still expectations for the Phillies. But the first time in seven or eight years where you were sitting there in March and saying, I'm excited for this season. This team could do damage. This could be a special year. And here we are one year later, and it's almost like, Everyone's expecting to see 75, 80 wins, another flushed season. And so to answer your question, I think it comes down to a a couple of key things. And it may not be so obvious. The bullpen, it has to start with the bullpen. You know, they talked at the end of last season about having the fourth best bullpen ERA over the second half, which was a joke. I mean, you're trotting out guys like... Blake Parker, Jared Hughes, Juan Nicasio. These guys were, were throwing high-quantity innings for the Phillies in the second half of the season. They have to get healthy. They have to stay healthy. You have to get something out of Sir Anthony Dominguez. Like, he's got to bounce back. If you, if, you know, you have to get Adam Morgan back out there. He has to stay healthy. Like, these are the guys that, even Victor Arano, a guy who showed promise two seasons ago, didn't get anything out of him last season. The pieces are there. Like These guys are decent major league relief pitchers that have a track record if they can stay on the mound. And Larry Boa talked a little bit about this. He was on MLB Network Radio earlier today, and he talked about how Joe Girardi wants to have a set lineup. He wants to have set roles for you know the, the guys down in that bullpen, something that they have not had the luxury of the last two seasons with Gabe Kapler. Baseball players are a creature of habit. There are certain things that they buy into. And so, yeah, if you define those roles and these guys stay healthy, you may get better production from start to finish out of that bullpen. Offensively, I think it comes down to, and this is where I I do feel good, I think that Bryce Harper is in a better place this season than he was a year ago. Getting acclimated, coming into spring training late, the amount of pressure that was on him to perform in a new environment – I think that this is a guy that throughout the course of last season became extremely comfortable uh, with himself, with this city, with that clubhouse. I think that he's mentally in a good spot this year. 
He was excellent in the second half of last year. I mean, you're talking about a guy that over the final 67 games of the year had a 941 OPS and 19 homers. Can that carry over? Yeah, I think that there's reasonable expectations that he can carry the momentum of his finish to last year. I think he's poised to have an excellent season. So if he can do that, and, and Reese Hoskins is at least the player that he was in the first half, which, by the way, wasn't you know an MVP candidate, yeah. but if he can just revert back to some type of middle ground, yeah, I think that the things can come together. And here's the key, and, and I'll wrap this up, the key part of it, whereas Andy McPhail last year said after a, a decent start, hey, listen, this team's going to show us. And, you know, if we don't, we don't. If we don't make a move, if we don't upgrade this team, if we don't make the playoffs, whatever. I think the mentality this time around, this July, is going to be a lot different. If the Phillies have answered some of those questions in a positive fashion, I think that this is an ownership group, this is a front office that's going to be much more aggressive this time around than they were a year ago. And no, do they have the prospects to do it? I don't I don't see it, but I do think that they will take the financial hit necessary if they have a team that can reasonably win the division. I'm going to tell you why Bryce Harper is going to have a, a massive season. Dad strength? Uh, that's a little bit of it. I was going to say, uh, Crew Harper. So his his wife gave birth in, uh, what was it, the end of August. And you don't know this yet, Bob. Mm. Maybe, maybe someday you will. Someday, maybe. There is a distinct difference uh, between the early stages of pregnancy and being the, the spouse the second trimester, and the third. When did Bryce... I, I want you to give me a little bit of a breakdown. Bryce Harper's, let's say, first half of the season versus second half. When did he play better? Second half. Which is, which makes a lot of sense. First trimester for a lady. It depends. It varies. It varies. <laughs> oh, first trimester. Uh, I hope your wife is first, listening to this. Absolutely. She'll, and she would agree with this. Uh, first trimester is extremely rough, especially if it's your first pregnancy. You don't know what you're getting into body reacts in a very different sort of way. And as the the husband in that scenario, you are bending over backwards to do whatever you can to make sure that that your wife, your girlfriend, whoever's life is is easier. Second trimester, a lot of times, woman starts to bounce back as more herself, which then as the, the spouse kind of allows you to fall back into that rhythm, that routine. Third trimester can be more or less the same, a little bit more fatigue for the lady, which again, you're kind of in that that back end, that stretch, that that what are they the back nine, right? Where you're at a at a spot where your life is kind of back to normal, sort of. And now you're expecting this this great moment, the birth of your child, and things are are a little bit more normal at home. There's such a component to being a professional athlete that's away from the field or off the court or away from the ice that people just don't take into account. And I would never under any circumstances, try to compare uh, the the role that a woman does bringing life into this world versus being the, the the partner who's trying to support them through that ordeal. But I will tell you that like sleep, sleep deprivation isn't just uh, when the child is born. There's a lot that goes into that. The 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 thought process of being worried about you know potential complications early in a pregnancy. I don't know what what his wife went through in this, but I'm just saying all these kind of things that that happen away from the field, they start to kind of die off. The, those concerns start to kind of wane a, a bit as you get further along. So 
I think there's probably some kind of a correlation there. I don't know Bryce Harper. Don't have the opportunity to be down there to ask him these questions. It's probably prying a little bit too much, even if I were in your position as a credentialed member of the Phillies media. But I will say that, like, I think that makes a lot of sense. And and it's not just in baseball. I mean, you see this, and and if you look up uh, a player's stats in the early part of his partner's pregnancy versus you know the the tail end I think you would see a, a very similar kind of pattern so I, I think that Bryce Harper is probably going to go out with a, a renewed sense of being able to focus on what he's doing on the field without as much of the fear at home that you go through at least in the early stages there and and of course there's a lot to be said for getting acclimated to a new city all of the stuff that happens away from the field it's just part of playing for a new team and trying to meet expectations I, One thing I'll say about Bryce Harper it. is that he's always he, he knows how to market himself. Uh, he knows how to work social media. He's very good that way. And I kind of expected, I don't know. I guess I kind of expected Bryce Harper to be a little bit of a phony. Honestly, when I when I first started getting down there and observing him, I, I you know, is it like always for the camera? Is it always putting on a show? Is it always a, with financial implications in mind? And, I mean, he's a professional athlete, and he knows how to play the game, and he knows how to play the game with the media, and there's no doubt. But I have to say, I really got a sense that he was a genuine guy. I got a sense that he meant a lot of the things that he said a year ago, and he showed up in camp this this year and said, you know, I really enjoyed Philadelphia last year. You know, it, it, he said people might think I'm nuts or that I'm being insincere in saying this, but I, I did. And I, I think that... He is genuine. I believe that. And to that end, I also think that he is a guy that is very comfortable being Bryce Harper. And whereas maybe the weight of expectation would would have an adverse impact. And, and I think last year, the, the struggles at the beginning, in addition to what you're talking about, were more rooted that he just started later. Yeah. You know, and I think that there was an adjustment period in terms of environment. I think that those were the more major factors than he felt all of this pressure to produce. This is just a guy that I, I think kind of oozes confidence and, and a genuine belief in himself. And I, I just think that that's going to translate to a, a – I think you're going to see a monster season out of this guy. Now, I'm not going to go out and say that he's going to have 45 home runs and win an MVP, but I think that the numbers across the board are going to be better than what they were a year ago. Um, and I, I think that that's one of the reasons I'd be – truly optimistic about the Phillies. So I, I have to ask you, and I want to go back to that question. If there was one thing, and I mean, you could go down the list. You just rattled off 10 if statements. Mm -hmm. What's the one thing that you just can't get over? When you look at this team, is it a lack of success over the last eight years is just kind of, you know, dampened your enthusiasm for the product? Or is it is there one part of the roster? Because I have one, and I, I'm just kind of curious. Is there just something about this team that makes you say, I just can't invest. I just can't get excited about it. I've got a multi-tiered issue system with this team. Uh, bullpen on its own. Bullpens are, are so tricky that you can go into a season and think it's absolute garbage, and a guy gets hot, and it, yeah. and it just permeates the entire bullpen, where one guy's confidence rubs off on everyone else, and, th and they're going to go through highs and lows as a group collectively throughout the season. So uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out the fact that I think the bullpen is shaky. I'm more concerned with, one, the the lack of development that I feel like this organization has had in the last few years with homegrown players. Like, I think that the way that Reese Hoskins has dropped off from having his star shine so brightly as a young player getting called up to the major league level and then seeing what, what really does look like a pretty significant 
regression. This isn't a guy who was any longer in a position to to be an outfielder. He got to play his more natural position in first base, which I thought would be helpful. He got to have the protection of a Bryce Harper and a JT Realmuto, who both of whom I think by the end of the season you could say met or exceeded expectations for the most part. I thought that that would have been helpful to him. So I, I thought that that part's disappointing. I'm glad to see that Scott Kingery looked like he became more comfortable as a center fielder. That seemed to kind of play its way out at the plate where, like, he was a guy that for a long time I've been excited about seeing. I mean that sincerely. My concern with Scott Kingery last year was, again, great start. at Second half kind of fizzled. Again, yeah. though, first year, like first true year. Yeah. I think that there was just – he sort of wore down a little bit mm-hmm. as the season progressed. But post-All-Star break, I believe he – he dropped like a 7-10 OPS. I think that he just got tired. Uh, and the launch angle stuff and the previous hitting regime and all of that was was problematic. But then I, I look at, conceptually, I, I, I really do want to believe that he is a long-term fit somewhere in that infield, preferably. Um, but I look at the rest of the team and I'm like, where where is that next player? I know that Alec Bohm is, is a, a really tantaliz- tantalizing prospect. He's a guy that people are excited to see come up, but it doesn't feel like you've got the firepower if you needed it at, at the AAA level or even at the AA level to have a guy that you keep your eye on at AA and you think, you know what, maybe he just skips altogether, comes up and, and makes an impact. Like, to me, I would have liked to have seen, and again, like we talked about him a little bit ago, but like Roman Quinn to me is a guy who could solve so many problems for this team as the center fielder pushing Kingery back into the infield to a more natural position and instead you're almost playing this weird makeshift thing. Like, I don't know if Scott Kingery is ever going to be at at an above average level in center field. I don't know if that's ever going to be a position that he's so comfortable with that he doesn't have that in the back of his head if he makes a bad uh, path to a ball, that that doesn't affect him. So I, I guess my concern with the team is the lack of development. And this this rotation is a, is a dumpster fire waiting to yeah, happen. Yeah, all right, so I'll jump in on that. Um, to that end... Development has been an issue, and I think it was one of the key issues over the last two seasons, and part of the reason why you now have Brian Price here to be the pitching coach, and you have Joe Dillon, who was the assistant hitting coach with the Nationals now here. Um, And I think that there is some hope that these guys at the major league level, and and yes, development is a whole different story, but at the major league level, maximizing and getting the best tweaks possible to these swings, uh, to the pitching mechanics, that's, I think, something that this team can latch on to more so than Gabe Kapler which you know we've all joked that that I was a Gabe guy and all that stuff but I I do think that there's something to be said for the credibility that Joe Girardi brings and the credibility that the staff has that he built or that he's brought here I do think that there's some room for growth and the hope is that you get a guy like Scott Kingery now in his third season, that he takes that jump. That Reese Hoskins, who was just lost last year and couldn't find a voice to really help him. This is a talented player. You know, you don't go from having the production that he does or that he had to just falling off a cliff and not being able to play the game at all. So there's there's something there. Can they fix it? And, and that's what this team's going to be tasked with. And I think it's reasonable to expect that some of these things happen. But what you said about the rotation is the thing that I personally have the hardest time getting over. Here come the 2020 Phillies, and in the back end of this rotation, which, by the way, at its center, it's being held together by Jake Arrieta, who, in and of himself, would be a question mark on any team. The back end of this rotation is comprised of Zach Eflin, who is as hot 
and cold as it gets. And he's your number four. And then, oh, by the way, here we go again with another year of Vince Velasquez or Nick Pavetta. And that seems almost incomprehensible to me that we are doing this thing again that where we're going to bank on upside and, and look at the arms and say, oh, that fastball. You know, like it, I just don't know how you can sell a team in this division after the, the previous two seasons that we've seen from both of these guys and for Vince Velasquez, frankly, beyond that. Just the inconsistencies and the inability to grow and take that next step. And we're going to do it again. And not I, only are you going to do it again, but we're going to do it with Zach Eflin as your four and Jake Arrieta as your three. I'm all for gambling. I love to gamble. But this is, is I don't know, I feel like we're chasing a loss here. You know, and, and can Nick Pavetta specifically figure it out? Yeah, I do think that he has the tools. I think he's got to work on the mental component of it. I know that the previous regime believed that too. In fact, I think if the previous regime was still here, that Nick Pavetta might not be. Take that for what it's worth. But that being said, I I think that there's growth potential in Nick Pavetta, but but it's just hard. If you're going to be a 72-win team, you let Nick Pavetta go. You say, hey, you're you're getting 150, 175 innings this year. We have to figure this out, but... Phillies aren't really, they, they don't have the luxury of, of taking a shot on wild cards at the back end of the rotation because the the middle of it is so shaky. I got to be honest with you. When I hear the name Nick Pavetta, when I hear the name Vince Velasquez, even when I hear Zach Eflin, my like inner Stephen A. Smith wants to come out and <laughs> scream. I was sitting at uh, up in Press Road Flyers game last week and there were two members of the media, uh, one who I will not name because he works at this station. Uh, and also at another Beasley Media station. He and another another guy who I don't think I've ever seen before, they started talking about the Phillies. Now, granted, I've been more or less checked out on doing real deep dives into players, but there was an agreement between these two guys that, man, you know what? Maybe this is the year that Vince Velasquez really shows up. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Are you out of your mind? Vince Velasquez. Let's talk about Vinny V. Vinny Vegas. Vinny V. Low. V for Vendetta. Vince Velasquez. He of a 4.91 ERA last season. Of a 4.85 ERA the season before. A 5.13 ERA the season before. Which means he's making progress, that's all. A man who right now... Baseball reference has listed as a projected ERA of 4.82, which, by the way, I think is actually pretty nice to Vince. He's supposed to be a key cog of this rotation. He's supposed to be a guy that we're supposed to go into a season relying on to provide stability at the back end of this rotation. Nick Pavetta! Nick Pavetta! A 5.38 ERA a season ago. A 477 the year before, a 6. You do have a little bit a of like a 6.02 ERA the season before. Are you kidding me? A whip of 1.516 a season ago. What is this team doing? Listen, I know that I like to say <laughs> institutional arrogance when it comes to the Eagles. This is institutional incompetence from the Philadelphia Phillies. What are you doing? Look, I know that Felix Hernandez is by no means 
King Felix. He's no longer the guy that people got excited for. Well, you for. like the Braves taking that, a like, shot. Each and every, you know, pretty much the, what was it, MLB extra innings is like the equivalent of league pass. that people be like, oh, man, you see Felix, see Felix Hernandez, man, I'd love to see the King here. Boy, it would be great well, to have. What's with that voice? <laughs> this is just my this is my baseball fan voice. He gets really excited. That's the baseball <laughs> yeah, fan yeah, voice. Yeah. Listen, I love Felix Hernandez. He's great. Fantastic whip. Really great FIP. FIP? FIP's a thing. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. It's good. Listen, there are people who are so excited, right? And then I see Felix Hernandez signs a minor league deal with the Braves. And I'm like, the Braves already have a really good rotation. And maybe Felix Hernandez isn't anything. Maybe he's nothing to be excited about. But you're telling me that if you're looking at this as the Philadelphia Phillies, you're Andy McPhail who does nothing but hashtag fail. You look at Matt Klintak, who looks like a boy wonder who hasn't really done much as the GM and probably should have been given his, his marching papers from John Middleton if he actually had a spine. I'm sorry. I guess I'm the bad guy here. I look at these guys and I say, seriously, you can't take a waiver on a guy like that. And again, maybe Felix Hernandez does nothing. Maybe he doesn't make a start for the Braves. Maybe he doesn't end up as a, as a potential trade chip where somebody's looking at a high ceiling. But, like, you're telling me that there's no spot in this organization for a guy like Felix Hernandez? There's no spot in this organization for a guy to take a flyer on? Where is the minor league pitching prospect who could theoretically come up and become a guy who, have, at worst, is maybe a number three starter? Oh, that's right. He's in Miami, along with Alfaro. Admittedly, still a trade that I like because you got hashtag the best catcher in baseball, unless you're in arbitration with him. But like, they'll get that deal done. They're going but, to get that deal but done. But your best pitcher is there. That's your best pitching prospect, right? So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Am I listen, crazy? I get it. Am I not? I get it. And listen, Felix Hernandez, one year, million dollars. Why not? Low buy. Maybe you get something out of him. But Felix Hernandez has not been even remotely effective over the last three seasons. I mean, since he's turned 30, he's he's really kind of gone downhill. He was he was 1-8 in, in 15 starts last year with a uh, 6-4-0 ERA. So it's like <laughs> Nick Pavetta. Did I say Felix Hernandez? Ah, oh, no, he's not. Never mind. Yeah. I mean, he's. No, but. But I get it. You see what I'm saying? The it's idea like, of going catch your lightning in a bottle, right. like maybe even for like two or three spot well, starts, maybe maybe like there's something there. In their, in their defense, they brought over 70 players to camp, and a lot of guys with major league experience, guys like Neil Walker, like guys that just again taking a flyer on yeah. on certain guys. But yeah, I do, I get it. And you know, you look at Vince Velasquez, and this is the thing I can't get over because there are times where he puts together a month, and you look at the numbers, and you say like, all right, ERA is respectable, K per nine respectable starting to pepper the strike zone a little bit more. Okay, all right. 23 starts last year. He completed six innings or more twice. He completed seven innings once in 23 starts. Pretty sure that's not good. It's not. And and baseball's different today. You know, you're not asking as much in terms of length from your starters, but that's, that's putrid. Repeat those numbers again. So 23 games started, Vince Velasquez last year, completed seven innings once, six innings twice. So think about, it's not just that Vince Velasquez did little to nothing for you in the time that he actually did pitch. It was all that time within a game that he didn't pitch and that you knew he wasn't going to be able to pitch because what does that do as a manager? That directly impacts the way that you utilize your bullpen. Your bullpen, and, which was decimated by injury on top of and that. And by the way... That's not just for that specific game. That means that leading up to a Vince Velasquez start, you're probably thinking in the back of your mind, oh, I know yeah. I'm going to have to use X amount of guys oh, in yeah. the next game. On a Thursday and, night, the way that you're managing a game when you know that Vince Velasquez is getting the ball the next night, it's certainly it better. It should play an, a and people major get, role. And then people get frustrated that you're not rolling out your, your best relievers. There's a reason for that. And then in the aftermath of Vince Velasquez going five innings, five and a third, 
gives up, what, four, five, six runs, the Vince Velasquez special that our friend Coggin Toboggan put together. When, when you do that, then you think about the day after and the fact that you're already injured, depleted, bullpen. You're now in a spot where it's like, I don't know. Whoever my starter is that next day, I've got to try to get extra out of him. And if he gets shelled, he gets shelled because they don't have much choices. In yeah, management. who in a lot of cases would be Nick Pavetta, Jake Arrieta, previous to to him being out for the year, prior to him being out for the season. I mean, it, it that was a tough spot. And, and that's think about thing. what that costs. I always use this analogy with Gabe Kapler. It's like, I, I don't know if Gabe Kapler is a good manager or not. I really don't know. I don't think that he was given a, a fair shake, to be honest with you, because of the situation that he was handed. Like, yes, there were expectations, and yes, they spent money, but by the middle of last year, that, that was a mash unit. And so yeah. it's like it's like giving a very good realtor a house that is fundamentally flawed. I mean, it's got termite damage. There's foundational issues. Optically is a mess. Hey, here, sell this. And I don't know that even some of the best realtors could sell a house that has these these core fundamental flaws to it. So what manager last year was doing anything with the 2019 Phillies? You know, and that's what I kept coming back to. That doesn't mean that it was enough to keep his job or that he should have kept his job. And I also believe that Joe Girardi is an upgrade. I do. I believe all of that. But again, unless these, unless this coaching staff is able to get more out of these guys, they're going to continue to run into the exact same issues unless they elect to spend their way out of it, which I don't know that you can do. You know, they're going to have to hit on some of these low buys. And the one thing, we talk about Matt Klentak all the time. We talk about the Jake Arrieta deal. We talk about signing Bryce Harper and the the trade to bring Real Muto here. And then, you know, the moves like Jared Hughes last year and the Blake Parkers and going dumpster diving. The one thing that Matt Klentak has not demonstrated to me at any point is the ability to be creative and to go out and be a little bit creative and do something besides just throw money at a problem and maximize the return. That has been an issue for this team since he's taken over. And, you know, this year, he certainly spent the back half of the winter trying to do exactly this. And if you believe in the law of averages, he's due because he has not had many success stories like this. So, you know, you've got to hope that this is the offseason where finally he, where we are able to look back at it and say, well, that was a pretty savvy move. It feels like it's a weird kind of scenario that we've run into here in Philadelphia where in the past it felt like our teams were at least well-constructed, and then it was just a question of coaching and, and effort and, and whatever on the field. But it feels like almost across the board, with practically every team in town right now, there are just questionable fits, there's questionable design, there are things that we can enter a season saying are fundamental issues with, with roster construction, and it doesn't matter how good your, your coach or your manager is. I mean, we can go... Let's take it in one of many different places. We went into the Eagles season thinking, you know what, this is a, a solid enough team, but by God, if something happens to one of their 30-plus-year-old wide receivers, things could be problematic. If something happened to their 30-whatever-year-old left tackle who's going to check himself out of most games, that could be a problem. You better hope that Andre Dillard's ready. You look at the other side of the ball, and you're like, I don't know, the linebacking core doesn't look that great, and the cornerbacks haven't exactly improved. These are, these are glaring holes they didn't address. You look at the basketball team. Wow. We're rolling out what's effectively two centers, two power forwards, and maybe a small forward. Or if you want to consider Josh Richardson a guard, you've got one guard, right? That's an issue. On the bench, mostly forwards, not any guards of real note who have contributed at the NBA level. You look at the hockey team. Now, granted, they had a a massive loss in their third-line center 
who was out and still remains not having played a, a game this year with a migraine diagnosis. You lost arguably your team's best up and coming young winger in Oscar Lindblom, who goes out to a, a rare Terrible cancer situation. diagnosis. Yeah. But for the most part, like that team, despite being pretty much up against the cap, was like pretty well constructed and you have to rely on your on your coach. Uh, there were a couple of question marks there, but it didn't feel like they were at that next level where they can con- contend. And now you look at this and it's like this team, I think maybe the the part that is the most frustrating is it's not a fundamentally different team. And if it wasn't good enough last year and you haven't improved your top end talent, I don't know how you can think that this is going to be a better season unless the the real argument here is health. But like, and that's why right. we haven't you, even talked but, about Chris Bryant. But I don't go out and and trade for Chris Bryant right now because again, this this is a roster that's already top heavy, and I don't believe that offense is the Phillies' primary issue here. You've got to get younger. You've got to become more efficient with your salary at some point. Yeah, this is a team that's spending in the top six. They're going to push 190 million dollars in total payroll this year. They should be more complete than this. They should have far less holes than they do. It, it's. You know, John Middleton's caught a lot of, of, of flack this offseason, you know, because he took, deservedly his, so. and he took his victory lap last year after they signed Bryce Harper and, and they're going to go get his effing trophy back and all of that. And that's all fine and well. I, I don't know, though. I mean, I, I, I have a problem with the team not going over the luxury tax. I, it's a minimal I thought it was penalty. a joke. Like when that came out that they weren't going to go over the threshold, I thought it was a joke. But I, I gen- would not do I it at the expense thought- of, of, of trading away talent. Like yeah, I'm not taking I- Chris Bryant's $18.6 million this season and then trading two of my best three prospects to do it. I, I just cannot do that. Two or three best prospects. All right, so you've got, there's what, one pitcher? Yeah, it was so Spencer Howard. Spencer Howard's the guy that a lot of people don't want to see. And if move. you don't want to see Nick Pavetta or Vince Velasquez, I mean, you move Spencer it if, Howard's you, probably. You move him the, if Nolan Arenado's available, right? Yes. Right? But again, monster but salary here, too. I mean, monster, monster salary, but, salary. but the upside With there an and, what, and, what he, he has an and, and also what he brings to your yeah. lineup is, is considerable. Yeah. What he brings on the defensive side is Just also. Don't look at those home road splits. Yeah. So. so, okay. You've got Spencer Howard, who you project to be a what? Is he a two? Uh, I think he's a a two upside. I think he's reasonably. I think you can kind of slot him as a three, and he gives you two upside. Now, when you say as a three, you mean like opening opening day, or you mean in two years he's a three? Oh, like this? Well, he won't start. He won't start in this rotation. I I can't see that happening. You know, he comes up in July and a year a year or so away from being. Yeah, I think in twenty twenty one, Spencer Howard is probably your number three starter. Okay. Other prospect of note. Who's another guy that you would say is an untouchable or close? You, it would hurt to. to well, I ways. think Bohm is certainly the other, okay. the obvious candidate here, and this is a guy that depends who you talk to, but he's an impact bat. Um, he's a guy that if he can stick at third base, certainly has far more value than he would as a DH or as a first baseman. Yep. And it's interesting to see what will happen with the National League. Will they switch to the DH because? The, the Phillies kind of have a few players that would certainly benefit by that switch. Hoskins. Reese Hoskins specifically. You can kind of keep JT Real Muto in the lineup on, on off days. You like his offense enough, he plays some first base. Alec Bohm, to me, is, is, is probably a first baseman. Like, you look at guys his size, have there been players of his size that have stuck at third? Yes. To me, though, like, you see the video, and if you get, like, looks at him, he is not a fluent third baseman. I think he he may not kill you, but I have questions about his long term ability to to stick there and and play even average defense. So th- so then let me let me throw this because I I think this is where baseball people sometimes get a little bit too caught 
two caught and Bryson and, and Stott, deep, by the way, deep. who may be the best overall player in the, the system. Who was that one? Bryson Stott, the uh, first round draft pick We're, from last year. He's okay. a shortstop, so he's going to be. I, at low, I think he's he'll your, be at low A this year. Yeah, I think you'll see him maybe the back half of twenty twenty two. Okay. So if if what we're saying or what you're saying is your best pitching prospect is probably a three who might have two upside, your best hitting prospect is arguably playing in the wrong position, and the only way that he gets to play a position that he probably should play is if the NL makes a fundamental shift in their or the Phillies trade Reese Hoskins, which that's another thing for another day, different story. But then then to me it's like if if you can get a guy who fits your timeline better. And I would say that at this point, the Phillies, just by virtue of the guys they have who are their best impact players who are at the certain point in their career as they are, this is more of like a, unfortunately, is more of a win-now team than they are a three-year-away team. Why would you not make a trade? Now, Chris Bryant is a little bit worrisome to me. I would be much more in on Arenado, but I know that would cost more. Yeah, I mean, Arenado is a far better player than Chris Bryant. But if we're talking about a, a three, maybe a two, and a guy who probably is a first baseman, if that's part of the cost that it takes, and I don't know what the rest of it looks like. I don't know if Halsey ends up having to be part of that or if Kingery has to be part of it. I don't even know if you can get to a, a, point, a point where Colorado would even entertain a package that includes any of those parts. Why not make that trade? Why not trade for Chris Bryant? No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm more of the Arenado camp. But, okay, okay, but, let, okay. but let's play the game and say Chris, let's say Chris Bryant. And let's say that it's Spencer Howard. There are a lot and, of really smart baseball people out there that would, that would encourage the Phillies to make this deal. Um, you know, Guys that are prominent voices in the Philadelphia market have, have kind of championed so this. So what idea. gives what gives you pause on it? Because if if you're if the ceiling is what we've just outlined, it it might be a realistic upside. Why not go for a guy who apparently is friends with with yeah, Bryce Harper? With Bryce Harper who's for the much more that in Bryce that... Harper kind of came out and said the other day. He says, you know, listen, love love KB. You know, they go back. That's great, but he also recognized that at some point you need to have value on your roster. You need to get production from low-cost players if you want to be top-heavy, if you want to have a guy like JT Real Muto who you're going to pay a ton of money to, probably in a five-year contract. At some point, if Reese Hoskins proves that he is the player that we were hoping that he'd be, you're going to have to pay him. Like, So not only that, but this team to me isn't a Chris Bryant away. If it were a true difference maker that I felt like, hey, this is a potential 88-win team right now, and if you go out and get this guy, it's going to put them over the top. Like when the Phillies traded for Hunter Pence back in, I guess, what was that, 2010? That was 11. Yeah. So when they traded for Hunter Pence, it was like, this is a move that's going to help push us back over the top. You know, you yeah. felt like that. But now, I, I don't I don't feel like that about Chris Bryant. I feel like it makes a potential 84-win team that's still going to need a lot of things to go right. Maybe an 86-win team that's going to need a lot of things to go right. So that's why I don't do it. And because I do think that these guys have legit ceiling. And the Phillies just are not flush with players that, that you can say that about. It's an unfortunate kind of paint, of picture to paint, though. If you think about it, like it, if this team is built to win in the next two years, and we're saying that even with the best catcher in baseball, even with a top free agent acquisition last year in Bryce Harper, that this team isn't even in the realm of of contending. And and we're not even talking like contending with the, because the so best. many guys that they counted on have just fallen far short of those. Of those projections and expectations. Which comes back to you. Early in the show, you asked me, what's my pause with this right. team? And I think that's it. So, okay. The Phillies are going to suck and we shouldn't waste our time on them. Got it. <laughs> no, but, okay. Conceptually, if you had 
a way to try to take this team and make them into a 90-ish win team, one that can maybe contend. I don't think there's a way for – there's not really a path for them to win the division unless catastrophic injuries hit Atlanta. It can happen. I mean, Atlanta lost Donaldson. That's a huge blow. Uh, Cole Hamels already has some some injury issues going on here early in camp. Guys in his mid-30s, that, that could kind of come back to bite him. Braves have some high upside starting pitching, but – Again, volatile. Decent organizational depth. Yeah, though. they do. They have some organizational depth. There's a couple of guys that that aren't even cracking that rotation right now. That in some other organizations would already be up. Um, but again, there's always some volatility with young arms. Um, you know, so I don't know. Atlanta, I think could. You know, there's there's some. There's an ability for that team to maybe fall short of their expectations. You know, there's always the hangover potential from the Nationals, and again, they lost. Um, you know, they, they've lost quite a bit as well, Rendon specifically. So, you know, you combine that with the hangover. Do they take a step back? I'm not ready to say that the Mets are better than the Phillies. I get the arguments. I understand the position, but I don't know that that's really true either. So could the Phillies work their way into a division lead at some point in the middle of the summer? Yeah, again, if things go right. Like, I do think that there's a possibility. And again, it's sort of like an order of operations thing. You talk about should they trade for Chris Bryant? No, not right now, but... If the Phillies are holding a six-game lead at the trade deadline and they are one impact bat away and he's playing well and, you know, you want to revisit the situation and you say, why not? Let's go for it. I could see that. But right now, with so many questions looming, I just don't – you know, it's like right now, would you trade a, a, the Eagles' first-round draft pick in 2020 for name a player, a shutdown corner? Would you do it? Like, does that put them over yeah, the top? Yeah, Howie Rosen is not a good drafter, so yeah. sure. yeah. No, I don't know. I, I guess it depends. You know what it I mean? Depends. Like, it also depends on like term. It depends on yeah. on the cap hit. Yeah, all of that. So, you want to talk a little Sixers? Well, you want to do some, well, I, some I have, ad reads? I have, I have a bunch of uh, of small things that I think we should hit. Yeah. Before we get out of here, our time has flown here, as we've talked about. Your <laughs> time team, flies. Are you talking Phillies baseball? The Phillies. Uh, let's talk about our friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. I'm, of course, Big Bet Bob. That's your name. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Talk about DraftKings Sportsbook. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Of for course. That. DraftKings Sportsbook is officially available in Pennsylvania. As the trusted leader in daily fantasy, DraftKings has brought their expertise to legal sports betting and is already America's top-rated sportsbook app. With so much going on this week, you're definitely going to want to take advantage of the convenience to bet wherever, whenever with the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Of course, you always want to check out their promo page because I mentioned this on Snow the Goalie, but DraftKings Sportsbook, there are times where they're practically trying to give you money. They had a prop a while back, Penn State and Indiana, to go over 51 points combined. That was an easy 50 bucks. They had a Ben Simmons prop. I don't remember what it was exactly, but it was another easy 50 bucks. DraftKings Sportsbook, it's almost, sometimes it's almost as if they want to give you the money. I, I don't know. It's just how I feel. That's not a DraftKings approved bit of language, but that's just how I feel. <laughs> sometimes you just have to take advantage of the promos that they've got running. Uh, Plus, they're based here in the U.S. They're not offshore. You know, how many times is it that you've you've run into somebody who's using an offshore app, one that's not on the up and up, one that you have to download in a very shady kind of way, one where you, you know your your yeah. buddies your buddies kind of worried about what happens if he uh, and then you're meeting uh, Vinny at Wawa yeah, a couple days later. Exactly. To pay Vin, up. Oh, Vinny Velasquez. He's <laughs> now. Um. Anyway. They're, they're based here in the U.S., so you know that your funds are safe and secure. If you're already betting in PA, bet with another great book, DraftKings Sportsbook, and take advantage of their great sign-up offer. They've got a $1,000 bonus going right now for new users. Uh, download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use our promo code CROSSINGBROAD when you sign up. That's one word, CROSSINGBROAD. Uh, for a limited time, all new users can get a free bet just for signing up. Plus, when you make your first bet, you can get a risk-free bet of up to $500. Don't forget, sign up with the 
promo code CROSSINGBROAD and place your first bet. You can get a risk-free bet of up to $500. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Pennsylvania only. Restrictions apply. Deposit bonus requires a 25-time playthrough. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Big bet, Bob. You have a bet? Yeah. Uh, North Carolina, Notre Dame tonight. Okay. College hoops action. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take Notre Dame getting four and a half points. Uh, some sharp money. Public is on Notre Dame. UNC is having a nightmare season, so uh, public money right now is on uh, Notre Dame. Uh, I'm going to bet with the Sharps though tonight and uh, take the points with the Tar Heels on the road. I, I have to say, I don't like Roy Williams. I think he might be my least favorite college coach. Um, the fact that a guy who's got a premier program in the nation – went out earlier this season and complained that his team doesn't have enough talent. Yeah. That's a bad look. Yeah. I mean, that's a you problem, Roy Williams. That's not on your guys. That's on you. I think things might be kind of passing him by. I think things passed him by about five years ago. And sometimes you just have a great recruiting class, and that that team is able to kind of win in spite of you, like the Phillies did with Charlie Manuel in 2008. Um, So anyway, definitely bet on him tonight. Yeah. we also want to talk to you about our friends over at Odd Logic Brewing Company, of course, located at 500 Bristol Pike in Bristol, PA. Odd Logic Brewing Company is a great place to go, have a great variety of beer. And then, of course, one of the nice things is they don't punch you in the face with the fact that you can go watch a game. So, you know, maybe you need to low key take somebody out on a date, go meet up with some friends. Some of them might not be a sports fan. You can still go out there. They've got plenty of flat screen TVs all around Odd Logic Brewing Company. They'll have the game on. And, uh, you know, most of the time they'll pump that audio through the uh, speakers. It's a great place to go. Fantastic variety. Our friend Kevin Kincaid, who's not here tonight, is a a craft beer connoisseur. Enjoyed the beer variety when we were out at Odd Logic Brewing Company for a live show. Of course, this weekend they've got, remember, the Titans on tap, 4.8% cream ale, bright and crisp with a smooth, thirst-quenching finish. They've got the No Ideas Original, 8.4 double IPA, Look Within, 6.2% Saison, all puns intended, an American IPA, my favorite, the Hooligan Factory, 6% brown ale. They've got a fantastic variety. Plus, you know, maybe you got a designated driver in your life who's out there. They've got cold brew coffee, nitro, on tap, always a fantastic option, plus nice. some handcrafted cocktails from 1675. So, Odd Logic Brewing Company, great place to go. 500 Bristol Pike, Bristol PA. Big thank you as always to them. Check them out on Facebook. And uh, all right, Bob. We got we doing a rundown? Yeah, let's do a rundown. Let's do a rundown. So you mentioned the Mets a little bit ago, and I thought this is about as appropriate of a time as ever to talk about our good friend, former Phillies player, former Phillies assistant GM, former Phillies GM, Ruben Amaro Jr., who reportedly is in talks with NBC Sports Philadelphia about taking a uh, an analyst role. I want to know what you think about that. I saw Ruben Amaro Jr. at the end of last season floating around the Phillies press box talking to some important members of the hierarchy of the organization, and I kind of thought maybe, possibly, that he was coming back in some type of role. Obviously, that did not happen. Uh, I think Ruben Amaro is actually a really nice guy. I I know that uh, the public perception of him here and the way that his tenure ended uh, was not overly positive, but uh, I think he's an extremely intelligent, former player, baseball lifer, baseball family. Uh, I think he'd be a great addition for them. Let's talk really briefly about the Sixers over the weekend. Of course, uh, Matisse Thibel did not make the Rising Stars game, which was totally nonsense. I think, Ryan, can I say the can I say the word that starts with an A and has has two dollar signs after it? Is that is that fair? So Matisse Thibel's agent <laughs> the of just did a uh, a little statement where he he called the assistant coaches the assistant coaches uh, in all caps. Uh-huh. Thibel doesn't play in the Rising Stars game. No big deal. Things are fine. Uh, you fast forward a night. Dunk contest. I don't know if you saw it. The Derrick Jones Jr. and the uh, Aaron Gordon dunk fiasco. I where, did. Where Dwayne Wade clearly didn't do the math, math, 
uh, the mathematical equation incorrectly. He did it with his Miami Heat bias. Do you think that uh, Aaron Gordon should have won the dunk contest, Bob, based on what you saw on film? You know, I'm just going to answer your question. Keep it brief. No. Wow. Yeah. The Taco Fall dunk didn't do it for you. Nah. I, I gotta say, like, it's just so played out. Yes. All this stuff is the exact same thing. I know they did away with the dunk contest. Everyone wanted them to bring it back. They're an entertainment company. They're serving the fans. I get it. Keep watching it if you enjoy there, it. There were I some just, there were some really great dunks, but I'm I don't know about you. I'm totally over the concept of like jumping over yeah, you jumped an over object, someone, jumping great. over a player. Yeah. Like it, it's not that impressive. Now Taco Fall is what, seven five? That is impressive. But you gotta remember Vince Carter back in the Olympics, what was it, two thousand something? Jumped over a Latvian player, yeah. right? The guy was like seven three. He jumped over him. I want to see a guy jump out of the rafters and dunk it. You know, this is or the thing, off too. a trampoline, maybe. Some people were like, "Oh, Aaron Gordon, he's been robbed. He was robbed twice. He should have two slam dunk contests." Poor guy. Oh, he's the best dunker of he's our. He's the best legacy. dunker of our lifetime. No, that guy is still has always been and will always be Vince Carter. Agreed. And that's that. Agreed. That's all I got to say about that. Said Forrest Gump. You get to the All Star game. Ben Simmons goes out, does a tremendous job, comes in in the first, I think, 45 seconds, had a steal, picked a pocket. We have 17 last night. Had a fantastic game. Joel Embiid, there was a, uh, there was a question that was asked by our, uh, our good friend, Investor Jeff, who said that uh, Twitter was ablaze with uh, the idea that had Team LeBron won, no, Team Giannis won, that Joel Embiid would have been named the MVP. I think there, there might be a little bit of merit to that, but... Embiid had a nice game. Ben Simmons had a nice game. How much do you care about the NBA All-Star Weekend? Uh, not a lot. I will tell you, though, that I do think out of all of the major sports, it's probably the most entertaining All-Star game at this point. And this comes from somebody that used to love the MLB All-Star game. But I will make a concession to you. I think the Home Run Derby is an exponentially more entertaining thing yeah. to Yeah, oh, I think the changes the they made contest. to the Home Run Derby uh, especially uh, have really changed things with the timer. I think it's, it's made a uh, huge, huge... Positive, a hugely positive impact. Do you see what just happened here? Baseball gave basketball some credit. Right. Basketball gave baseball some credit. People working together. We are not dividers. We are uniters here at Crossing Broadcast. Here on I think you should better ESPN you better cut cut next the, uh, the cut short the next question so you can get Ryan Lennox's love here. I, d- I don't have any questions. I'm glad that we got to end with that. So big thank you to Bob and a big thank you to Ryan Lennox on the other side of the glass. There Look at is. that smile. There he is. We'll be back next week, 6 to 7, here on 610 ESPN Philadelphia.